0: Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And I love telling this story and sharing time with one of my best friends because I would not have a career in broadcasting without Andy Schoen. When I was an intern at KROQ Radio in Los Angeles, which was really uh, the alternative radio juggernaut uh, throughout the 80s and 90s and beyond, and the radio station's success can be credited to... The program director, Andy, who at the time had so much creativity concentrated in such a young brain that he was so willing uh, to take musical and programming chances. And every other alternative radio programmer in the country followed what he did. And when I was an intern, you know, I I was a special little lady and used to go into his office and ask him to put me on the air. and, And eventually he did. He gave me a two night audition and that led to MTV. They had heard about some of the promotions that he had done at K-Rock, and they were so impressed by his energy and acumen and, you know, the, the phenomenal track record that he had in his mid-20s, that he was hired at MTV to be pretty much their head of programming, which was obviously very different going from a huge local radio station to a massive global phenomenon like MTV. He did that in 1992. We have remained friends ever since. But the most impressive thing to me about Andy is he has moved deftly in so many directions through through media and business and entrepreneurship and there's something about his optimism and his drive and those lessons I internalize personally, but I think there's so much to be learned from someone like that. So Andy, welcome back to Kennedy saves the world.
1: Well, thank you. Are, I don't know. You're welcome. Have I been, have I been on before? I, think so. I was surprised to get the invitation. Actually,
0: <laughs> I think you've been on. I
1: know you're saying that like, we've been friends, but you, you know, the, I'm just sitting here waiting by the, by the podcast phone and, uh, <laughs>
0: I I know you've been on. You've been on at some point.
1: Okay, you've yeah. been on my TV I show. I was back on, yeah. I was. I think I was back on the 10th anniversary show. You brought me in for a minute.
0: <laughs> That's that. That was a really really special time. So, Shoner- I
1: loved hearing that opening, Kennedy. And it's like, believe me, the the listener should know that uh, of this podcast that. That is one of the great lessons that I teach uh, anytime I have a chance to talk about business, and people always ask, "How did you get into the business and how did you break through and I always tell the Kennedy story because you kind of brushed over it, but you know there are leaders and followers you don't get if you don't ask you know what's the downside in being persistent? We talk about that a lot when I talk about business and you know sort of the colorful career i've been able to put together based on you know, being somewhat fearless, I guess, you know, and and you came in as an intern. We had a dozen or so interns answering request lines back when people called stations for songs before playlists and things. And you would come in every single day, multiple times a day, walk right into my office, right past the assistant, right into the office and say, when are you putting me on? When are you putting me on? It was like this constant thing. So at a certain point, you say to yourself, What's the downside in putting Kennedy on and giving her a try, right? Because that enthusiasm is what got me on the radio in Seattle as the youngest major market personality um, in America was because I did what you were not supposed to do. I, I looked at an ad in a trade magazine billboard that said, tape and resume, do not call for this huge station in Seattle. So I promptly called and I got the job. So I thought, you know, I've I've lived that. Kennedy is working my playbook. Let's put her on the air. And
0: yeah, that's and, how it starts. And and that's not that's not what a lot of people do because a lot of people lead so defensively, they're almost scared to take a chance. And I mean, I, I remember reading this when I was in my twenties and, and it really resonated with me. People who are really successful aren't afraid to find people who could ultimately replace them. But there are a lot of people who are so defensive, they'd rather make people miserable and and haze them to prove a point and to prove they are superior than to have the confidence to surround themselves with people who you know, have phenomenal qualities that the leader, the person in charge may be lacking. And I really, I want to talk about this. I want to touch on this because I haven't talked about it on the podcast. And it means so much to me, especially with the passing of Sinead O'Connor. So one of the incredible relationships and and a, a person whose talent you spotted early on was your former music director, Louis Largent. And, right, you know, Lewis. this is this is such an incredible story to me because... You and Lewis and I all got on the same plane in September of 1992 from Los Angeles, and we flew to New York together. So you had hired uh, two of your friends and colleagues from K-Rock to really change our lives, and you took us to MTV, and, and we all went on the same plane and unfortunately yeah, this year our friend Lewis Largent and a lot of people may know Lewis cuz he was the host of 120 minutes on MTV he was also one of the uh, the programmers the music programmers at mtv working with andy hand and glove but with the passing of sinead o'connor this week you told me a story when lewis passed because i was always amazed how you and lewis worked so intuitively to program the radio station and a lot of those choices changed music so tell me the story about sinead o'connor
1: sure yeah you're right and i never took for granted although when you look back on it now Radio, when it was at its height of influence, which probably would have been, you know, at sort of the late 80s, early 90s, FM radio and K-Rock was, was known to be the dominant music station really in the world. It influenced the playlists of radio stations around the country, around the world, and of course, the playlists of of MTV in the U.S. and around the world. So very powerful place to be. We took our job really seriously uh, we used to drive around Los Angeles with a pile of CDs, so we could live like the listeners, driving around in the number one driving city, listening to new songs, and trying to figure out what to put on the playlist every week. And as I look back on it now, we had this great, we had this great uh, privilege of hearing music before the general public because we would get it in beforehand. And unlike the internet today, where when something comes out, the whole world has a chance to to put ears on it we would hear it first and decide if we wanted to try it on the air. And I recently, as you said, Lewis, who was an incredible mover of culture, um, really my uh, L.A. anthropologist and cultural translator uh, when I came to Los Angeles as a embedded, um, he was a Santa Monica native and, and really knew everything about music and the culture here. I needed someone like that. Uh, as an outsider coming into Los Angeles to try to turn around K-Rock. And Lewis was exactly that guy that I found hunched over uh, in the studio uh, reading, a, reading a NME uh, one day. So, so um, as I look back on a playlist that I made on his birthday uh, two weeks ago of about 50 songs, there were so many songs that we played and broke on K-Rock first, um, a long, long list of songs that we all know today from big bands and then One Hit Wonders, but there were really three that stood out. And one of them was uh, Nothing Compares to You from Sinead O'Connor. And that was a song that you have to imagine K-Rock as a radio station that's a rock station, that's sort of a pop station that has a lot of tempo and energy, energetic disc jockeys, energetic music, um, you know, it's such a pace. And we heard Nothing Compares to You and we sort of stopped in our tracks because It was so powerful and beautiful. And so we thought, let's put that on and give it a try. So we walked into the studio. Uh, I think Jed the Fish was on the air, the afternoon jock. And we put it on, saw the needle drop. And it was one of those few moments that still gives me goosebumps today because sometimes when you play something, it's a one-listen song. And I could almost feel the invisible airwaves of K-Rock and radio beaming out and blanketing Southern California. And I imagine people in their cars or at work, you know, listening to K-Rock and hearing the song for the first time. And we just knew that we were nailing it. And because of the pace of that song, it stopped everybody in LA in their tracks and the phones lit up like a movie. uh, And, you know, we started playing it a hundred more times a week and it became a phenomenon. And that happened again with Smells Like Teen Spirit from Nirvana and Crazy by Seal. Those are a couple others that I remember that we put on for the first time. And it was 10 seconds into each of those songs that we we knew we had something.
0: Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this.
1: Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.
0: That's what broke that song for Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, And and people don't realize that the K-Rock was so far ahead of MTV because, you know, a, a record company will invest in making a video once at least at that point, once a song had already gotten traction on radio. Every other alternative station in the country, and there were not a lot back then, they would wait for K-Rock's playlist to come out, wait to see what songs were added, and then they would add them. So it was a domino right. effect. But that that's how Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You was broken. and And that song resonates so deeply in people that that's what they think about when they think of her passing. Because that song, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously Prince wrote it, but her performance, it's similar to Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You.
1: Good analogy. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. Sometimes the, the artist that writes a song is not the one that makes it most memorable. Um, and there are a number of cases like that. But yeah, that's true of Nothing compares to the other, a couple of other Prince songs, right? I mean, not to go down that rabbit hole, but of course, Cindy Lauper's Time After Time, right? Yeah. Another one.
0: And, yeah. But I, the, 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 I'm not going to keep you too long, but I, I love talking about this because there are people who who love these songs and they don't know the genesis, like how, how they got into our heads, like how they came to resonate within us. But you and Lewis were looking through import record bins, and what happened when you found SEAL?
1: Yeah, so we uh, used to have a, well, it's funny because I never got reimbursed for buying that SEAL CD in import, which you know, imports, compact disc imports at a record store in 19... you know, nine, ninety were like twenty eight dollars or thirty four dollars, and even though we were running the biggest radio station in the country, we still we weren't making a lot of money, to be honest. And so I put in to, to have um, to have that CD reimbursed by the company, and they didn't reimburse me. So I still have it here today. So I kept it when I left. The
0: I hope you have the receipt and and give it to Shirley, and and she should absolutely <laughs> yeah, reimburse so, you.
1: Exactly. So I actually have that moment that that uh, that that uh, that that piece of of history in my office office here but we picked up the clcd lewis liked um the look of the cover we bought it we took a gamble on it we popped it in my car we heard crazy uh and this is an example of uh of the record companies would would have an agenda and they would have a schedule and they would want radio stations to play the songs that they're putting money on and the artist releases that they themselves thought were important so they would really dislike when a station like k-rock with its supreme influence would go off the script and take a slot that was otherwise for an artist that they were focused on and they'd put their money on and we go rogue buy an import not available in america commercially and put it on k-rock and it becomes an instant sensation and as a result Uh, that took a slot away from who knows what artist, um, had we not found the seal CD, some other artist might've gotten that slot. So you can kind of think that through and kind of tease that out if you want to. But, uh, so we went rogue, we played that. It then became a huge hit. Uh, he then was released in the United States and, um, and that's how that one started.
0: Well, Seal is not the only person who owes you a debt of gratitude. And I tell people this all the time. Sometimes I still refer to you as my boss Andy uh, because you you gave me two broadcasting careers in radio and TV and you know, not only am I forever in your debt, I I still every time I have any sort of opportunity, I run it past you. And you know, because I I know that you are going to give me an honest assessment and and genuine advice. And so Andy, we're, I'm going to have to have you back because we have to cover the MTV years next, if that's okay.
1: Wait, I'd love to do it. Um, love talking to you. You have a lifetime money-back guarantee, you know, on employment with me, so you can always <laughs> run stuff by me. It's it's uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you are uh, once once an intern, then an employee and then um, a friend. And I feel like your big brother. And I think that happened when I pulled you out of Dennis Rodman's uh, limousine one time. So so after that, I think <laughs> he I did. Became, he threatened to fire me. No, he threatened mother. to fire me. He
0: said, if you get in this car right now, I will fire you. You will not have a job. I cannot in good conscience let you drive <laughs> away with Dennis Rodman in 1993. Still right. Detroit Pistons in Dennis Rodman right? and I was like Andy God yeah. Dennis Rodman that wants was... to make out with me he's like he wants yeah. to do a lot more than that and no the answer is no that's
1: right so that's we'll, right. we and will have to cover I... that
0: and, and many more stories <laughs> when you come back yeah. Andy Schoen that thank you good. so much
1: thanks for having me
0: Andy saved my world this has been Kennedy saves the world I'm Kennedy For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network.